Hello everyone, this is Chris Kreitcho, one of the hosts of Winning Slowly. Today's episode tackles a wonderful piece of art that confronts the difficult topic of death and even grapples with suicide. While Stephen and I do our best to deal with these issues in a sensitive way, as does the piece of art we are discussing, we recognize just how charged these topics may be for some of our listeners. If these topics are too painful for you, we recommend you skip this episode, and we promise they won't all be like this. As always, thanks for listening. Welcome to Winning Slowly, a podcast about technology, religion, ethics, and art. I'm Stephen Caradini. And I'm Chris Kreitcho. And today we're going to be talking about North Carolina band The Collection. Their new album, Ars Moriendi, just came out a couple weeks ago, and they just completed a two-week East Coast tour. And both Chris and I have been listening to this album, and we love it. We love it musically, we love it lyrically, we love pretty much every aspect of how they went about doing this particular album. And we're going to tell you why from a Winning Slowly perspective throughout the rest of this episode. So before... Yeah. So before we jump into it, uh, I have a pretty long history with the collection. Um, in 2011, they contacted my blog, Independent Clauses, and said, hey, perhaps you would like to review our album. And I took one listen to the first track and said yes, and immediately <laughs> sent it over to Chris and said, you should listen to this immediately. Uh, and he was, eh, he was okay with it. Uh, but I loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, and reviewed it well, and stayed in touch with the collection, and didn't hear from them for a while. Uh, fast forward three years, and, or two years, and they're running a Kickstarter for their new album. I contributed a substantial amount of money, uh, <laughs> and so we've developed a relationship from there. I reviewed their album on independent clauses, effusively. He gushed. Uh, like, like a little girl meeting like, her favorite superhero. Okay, okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and the collection has played on a compilation album that I did. So the collection and I have a relationship. However, they are awesome and therefore became my friends, not they were my friends and therefore I'm saying they're awesome. There it is, is a distinction there. And so. we can back this up because, well, they're not my friends and I think they're awesome. Uh, maybe they, I would be happy if they were my friends, but this album is probably my favorite album I've heard yet this year, and by probably, I mean most definitely. And he and listens maybe to a lot of music. Uh, I listen to a lot of music, and this might be my favorite album from last year, too, but it came out this year. So we both have a really fond set of emotions when it comes to this <laughs> album. Let's just say that, to put it understatingly. So why do we love this album so much? Well, first off, it's, it's gorgeous. It's really good music. When, we, when they say on their website and on their band camp and everything else that this is an orchestra, they're not lying. They actually got, what is it, 27 different instrumentalists together over the course of the album, and mm -hmm. they play. And they play live and recorded real things live, where most bands would have lots of cues laid down by you know, either studio performers or at this point, more likely just electronic samples. There's, that's not what they did here. They got real violins and drums and cellos and 
trumpets and played them. And Clarinets. because of that, yeah, I mean, they, they have an orchestra. It's a small orchestra, but it's a real orchestra. And it mm-hmm. sounds different because of that. There's nothing mm-hmm. quite like the sound of real live instruments being played. Yeah. And especially, I mean, that's a that's very much a standard thing to do in the indie folk rock scene where they're kind of sitting. But against the backdrop of pop music in general, it's really nice. Yeah. Yeah, and even, you know, so Mumford & Sons will have trumpets every now and then. You know, Beirut has a trumpeter and some strings. Like, this is an average of 13 to 18 people. <laughs> this is a lot of people. <laughs> this is a lot of people on stage. Like, if you go on YouTube and look up their videos, their stage is very cluttered. <laughs> but it works because, A, David Wimbish is an excellent arranger mm-hmm. of of orchestras, lead uh, songwriter and arranger David Wimbish, um, and also every member of the band seems like they really want to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean that like emotionally, like yay, we are here. But like musically, you can just tell that they all feel that this is a vital and important thing that they are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of of passion, not just in David Wimbish's voice, which is extremely true, but <laughs> also in you know the clarinet throughout the album is right. just incredible. So like in Broken Tether, it's really important. In the middle one, it's really important. Like who does that, right? Like who says we need clarinet right now? And the, that attention to detail and that level of excellence that the clarinetist brings like makes this album like more than what it would be if it wasn't. And Absolutely. so and so all of those musicians throughout who do those tiny little little pieces um, quote tiny quote little quote pieces that's that attention to detail and that level of just all around excellence makes this album just incredible right this this album has the energy of either of the main release Mumford and Sons albums but it's got musical depth that just kind of blows those out of the water and I say that as a big fan of both of those albums and mm-hmm. a, a fan of a lot of the sound of what they're doing here uh, yeah. listening to Wimbish sing is kind of like listening to those guys belt it out at times. He's got the mm-hmm. same kind of passion and soul there, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. But they're bringing on top of that this enormous depth of orchestration and, frankly, lyricism that just, I mean, we, we're we starting to gush again. But it's because this stuff is really, really good music. And we... Yeah. I mean, we're we're talking about it on Winning Slowly because one of our focuses is art and the intersection of art and religion, and we're going to spend a good deal of the episode on that. But just from the pure art perspective, it is rare in any context to hear this kind of attention to detail, this kind of thick orchestration, this kind of fully developed and fully considered musicality in I mean, really, any kind of vocal popular music. It's just not yeah. a thing that you hear. It's its definitely true. And so those elements on their own are a winning slowly sort of thing. Like, it took time to write this. Right. Like, it took two years or more to write this. And then it took six months of intensive recording time to make this album happen. Like, this took effort. And... I'm sure that there were moments in the middle of those six months where they were like, we hate everything about this album. We no longer want to go on. 
<laughs> we have been doing this for so long and there is so much left to go. But that level of, you know, going forward and pushing forward and, you know, believing in, you know, the fact that the attention to detail that they put in would pay off is something that not a lot of people do. And that is an admirable thing from a winning slowly perspective. One of the things that you take away from listening to it is that they spent the time on it. And, yeah, you know, it's any major album release is going to have some of that. I mean, most actually good artists take a year or more to write and record an album. Mm-hmm. So so we're not diminishing what anybody else does. And there are a lot of really good professional musicians out there. It's just an astounding amount of work that went into this, and that's one right. of the things that's so notable. Now, on and they top didn't of have, that, and they didn't have a record label, and right. they didn't have, and they didn't have, et cetera, et cetera. Right. On top of that, though, it's the fact that it's not just that they put a lot of time in, but that it works. Because one of the things that you know I've been seeing go around in kind of indie developer circles that I follow online is the point that people don't particularly care how much time you spent on something. People care what the end product is. Mm. Now, th- that that's not totally true here. I do care that they spent a lot of time on it. That makes it more interesting to me. But it makes it more interesting to me because I'm a creator and a, and I mm-hmm. think about these kinds of things for myself. Right. This works really well, not just because they spent a lot of time on it, but because the time they spent on it turned into something that is really musically interesting. Yeah. You can, you can spend a lot of time on something and it still be bad. And yeah. you can... Sp- Sometimes spend a shorter amount of time if you're really skilled and it'd be good. This is a case of really skilled people spending a lot of time on something and it turning out fantastic. Right. And it's not that like every single track has a gazillion instruments. I mean, mm-hmm. two of the the most uh, difficult to grapple with and most beautiful in their intensity songs are just David Wimbish with an acoustic guitar and minor overlays. Um, the doubtful one and oh death where is thy sting uh, they're not super complicated songs but in comparison to the rest of the giantly orchestrated songs they are a beautiful contrast mm-hmm. and therefore they mean so much more than if it was just you know david wimbish with an acoustic guitar and in the middle of 10 other ones that were like that mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a sense of flow about the album, which is also rare these days. Mm-hmm, it fits mm-hmm. together as an album. It's not just a collection of kind of similar-sounding singles. Ha, oh, ha, ha. Um, but yeah, intentional so, puns. So they, the first track of the album is an instrumental introduction called From Dust, and the last song is a full song, but it's called uh, To Dust. So they definitely thought about the whole <laughs> scope of the album as they were building it. Right, and for anyone who's not a Latin scholar, Ars Moriendi is the art of dying, which takes us kind of more in the direction where we're going to spend some of our time the rest of the episode, which is on lyrics and what Mm -hmm. they're doing, not not just in terms of the instrumentation, but the thought that's gone into constructing an album with some really, really challenging material lyrically. The art of dying is something that, by and large, I think we have lost culturally in the West. Other cultures have a much stronger... Uh, culturally embedded response to death, Mm -hmm. the formalized rituals of mourning that help people process their grief. Mm -hmm. In the West, we, in the modern West, we mostly just try to pretend death doesn't happen. And you'll hear, I have heard people ask really insensitive, well, why aren't you over that yet? What? Someone died. (laughs) Um, 
it's not it's not okay. Yeah. And you so know, before we historically had that, but now we don't. And so that's yeah. what they're exploring. Yeah. So before we get into that, let's we're gonna play you another clip from the album. Um, this is from my personal favorite, Broken Tether, the opening track. Uh, the Gown of Green is Chris's personal favorite. So we're going to play you another clip from that, and then we're going to jump back in and talk about um, dying and lyrics and religion and how you do all of that. All of my days, they are coming to an end. I am counting down the seconds. And I can no longer pretend that I am completely content with where I'm at. If I met you, I would burn my magazines, erase all of my history and say I'm sorry. And like a tree, I burn my leaves, bear my So, again, that was Broken Tether by The Collection, and that is uh, towards the end of the album, actually, Um, and the album is loosely correlated into um, hopeful songs towards the front um, and more complex, um, difficult um, grappling with death towards the end, um, which is why um, in the full album version of that, there is a, a coda of a mournful piano um, contrasting against um, the very upbeat sound that you heard. Mm-hmm. So those lyrics, uh, <laughs> David Wimbish writes all the lyrics, or at least most of the lyrics. I'm sure that there was some help from the, um, the rest of the collection. Um, and in his, his first few releases, first two releases as the collection, um, his lyrics were a strong point. Um, they were definitely something that um, was like one of the elements people keyed in on. Um, but in this album, they're taken to a whole nother level. Yeah. One of the things that's interesting about these lyrics, you can't listen to this album without recognizing essentially immediately that the collection is a, a collection of Christians who are thinking about these things. But not only is this musically at the top of its game, like we noted earlier, the the questions they're asking and the answers they're offering in this really do justice to the Christian, and here I mean the historical, biblical Christian, rather than cultural, sometimes trite Christian, approach to the question of death. These mm-hmm. aren't simple, easy, hey man, it's cool, Jesus got it, it's death sucks, death is hard, mm-hmm. why do we die? Why... Why is there so much pain involved? Mm-hmm. What, what do we do with the fact that death does confront us all? Yeah. And it, it doesn't offer trite answers. It wrestles and it churns and it stews yeah. without becoming a bloviating mess, which it very easily could. Yeah. And part of the way it doesn't become a bloviating mess is that it avoids one of the tropes of pop culture or pop music in our culture, which is the person writing this song is the person singing this song. Mm -hmm. And so in many of these songs, I'm not going to say all, because I can't say that with definition, but seeing as David Wimbish has not died, um, (laughs) there's at least one of these songs that David Wimbish cannot be the narrator of. Um, So there's, there's a tension where, yes, David Wimbish believes these things and thinks these things, but they are spoken from people who have different circumstances than he does Mm -hmm. um, and who have different... 
um, perspectives than he does, different life experiences than he does. And I can say all those things because we really get to hear those life stories. Mm-hmm. Like there are life stories intertwined all throughout this, uh, this album, most particularly in Scala Nature, which is literally the life story of a person. Right. Um, and, and the way it opens vocally, it sounds like the life story of a woman, not yes. just a man. It, it's intentionally said it. A mm-hmm. woman's voice opens it, and mm-hmm. the stories and the perspective you hear there come that way, which is a really interesting way to open an album that's mm-hmm. mostly fronted by a male vocal. Yes. Yeah, I had, I had not thought about that until right now, but I had wondered why um, the female vocalist opened the album. But thanks, Chris. That was a <laughs> good thing to point out. But well, yeah, What so it there... does is it situates you, though, that this mm-hmm. is not an album of David Wimbish's thoughts yeah. just turned into poems. Yeah. It's it's an album of reflections from a variety of angles. And right. those angles are provocative and challenging because life is sometimes provocative and challenging. Yeah. So the most impressive thing about this album to me is that it goes and does not shy away from the topic of suicide, which is mm-hmm. something that Christians almost never talk about with each other. Like other than say like you probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> right. Uh, it just, we just, it's hard to talk about. Um, and Christians generally don't like talking about depression because there's this unspoken thing. Like if we talk about how Jesus isn't perfect, the secular people will win, which is (laughs) not true at all because secular people also get depressed because people just get depressed. It's, it's part of life. Um, but even more so than tackling depression, which they do, they go and they don't shy away from the idea of suicide, which is mind-blowing in some senses in that like when you listen to some of these songs you're like i am uncomfortable like Mm -hmm. i do not know how i feel about this song um, other than the fact that i can't stop singing it which is also (laughs) kind of uncomfortable them singing about death very happily uh the thing that's good and really really helpful in that is that again because they're not necessarily endorsing the perspectives they're articulating they're just articulating a perspective and forcing you to think about it Mm -hmm. the result is that you come face to face with things that too often we shy away from yeah and you do so in this broader context of it's it's always situated against christian hope it's Mm -hmm. always situated against the realities that we affirm as christians right there's resurrection always kind of dancing in the background but it's subdued and and that's fitting that's the world we live in we live in a world where depression hits us and doesn't go away where people do unfortunately kill themselves where people experience death in war where people face senseless death in general where people live in a world as scala nature puts it that treats you like hell along the way Mm -hmm. and in grappling with that you get a chance to situate that against what we do believe and it and not subsume it into a happy easy answer yeah and one of the things that's impressive about this is that it manages to balance that heaviness Mm -hmm. with joy Mm -hmm. in that songs like the borrowers are just really fun to listen to and to Mm -hmm. like they are joyous songs even if they're grappling with what does it mean to be alive um you know songs like broken tether uh are very depictive of how some days when you're depressed you have great days and then other (laughs) Mm -hmm. days maybe the next day you have an awful day um and it's it's just really 
not a a heavy album. Like right. even the, even though the 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 instrumentation is complex and there's a lot of it, it never gets to a point where you you can't listen anymore. Now the first mm-hmm. time the first time is going to be heavy. Like <laughs> I was I was not prepared. Um, the first time I listened to it uh, was part of their Kickstarter like uh, party, and like I heard it on giant speakers, and like I literally like started crying at points because it was just so completely overwhelming. But even the first time that I heard it like on an album CD form, like it's just tough to integrate with. I'm gonna listen to some pop music. Oh, right, right. But once you yeah, get we were... past that first barrier of, oh, this is what this is going to be, like you can actually like explore it and mm-hmm. and feel, you know, joy as well as some some suffering. One of the things we were talking about as we were thinking about this and thinking about preparing for the episode is these are things that make you uncomfortable, but they should make you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. We live in a world that if if we think it's comfortable and we think it's straightforward and we think it's simple. We're just wrong. Yeah. You know, we have, we affirm that things are fallen, things are broken, things are not as they ought to be. Mm-hmm. And the Christian answer to death, which again is just always kind of there in, in the background for Ars Moriendi, is that God came and died with us. Mm-hmm. He suffered with us. He experienced everything we experienced, all the grief, his friends dying, his mm-hmm. friends suffering, mm-hmm. his family suffering, his own suffering and death. And yeah, there's resurrection at the end of it, but you have to get through all of that to get yeah. there. You and have th- to go and that's through what death. This, right. You don't get to it without that. And I was reminded listening to this album of Paul's uh, statement of what his own life looks like, which is sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And this this album is that. It's sorrowful. It's facing death. It's facing depression. It's facing even suicide. Mm-hmm. But it manages to do that and still rejoice. And that mm-hmm. is, it's fun and it's hard at the same time. And that is, of course, exactly what it should be. Yeah. And so, you know, for Christians, our Christian listeners, like, this is something that will probably challenge <laughs> how you think about things. Like, it is very difficult to listen to the doubtful one which is exactly what it sounds like. Um, it starts off, Oh, Brother Thomas, did you walk away from Jesus wondering if it was all a dream? Um, you know, and then listening to um, Some Days I Don't Want to Sing, Oh, Death, Where Is Thy Sting? Like, <laughs> it is really, really heavy. Like, the person mm-hmm. in it just doesn't believe in God anymore. Um, and in some ways, that's worse than, like, feeling that um, perhaps you like somebody who never believed in God, like there's more heartache for Christians in that song. And there mm-hmm. is like the, there's hope at the end. Like there's, there's just this little glimmer of hope. Um, but it's hard. Like, especially yeah. like if you, like, you know, if you're a Christian, you've predicated your life on this. And then you hear like, you hear a song from those people that you don't want to think about. That's tough. Yeah. Well, and what it does is it it forces you, as C.S. Lewis talked about in an experiment on criti- an experiment in criticism and in some of his letters, it forces you to get out of yourself, and yeah. that's what really great art does. And yeah. and kind of to take the turn here at the end of the episode to our normal re- reflection from a winning slowly standpoint of of what is good art. You know, and we talked about this back in our season zero a bit, but to come yeah. back to it before we. 
before we jump to good art, I do want to say one thing about like how this works for secular listeners. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, this is this is a Christian album for sure, but it's also not marketed right. as a Christian album. This is not, it's not a CCM label release at yeah, all. Yeah, they went through a non-Christian PR firm. Like they they play in scuzzy bars. <laughs> like these are people who care very much about how people who are not Christians respond to Christianity. So mm-hmm. this is not an album where it says you don't believe in Jesus. Well, you should. <laughs> right. Like that's right. very much because of that wrestling that it does. Yeah. And so it's, it's a album that I feel comfortable recommending to, you know, people who are not Christians because, mm-hmm. you know, these are the questions that everybody has. And so yep. this is just one set of answers that this particular group of people has come up with in the same way that, you know, the arcade fires funeral has a different set of answers for how do we deal with death. And mm-hmm. so this is not a proselytizing like mess really right you know you could come away with it and say okay maybe i want to believe in this but you could also come away with it and think wow broken tether is kind of about how pornography ruins lives that's (laughs) weird um you know and so the there's there's depth here um and there's an ambiguity and an artisticness here that doesn't make this just a Christian album, and it right. should not be considered just a Christian album, if only for the music, which is astounding, but also for the way <laughs> that they delicately treat the the themes. Right, and that and that actually serves as an even better transition to the what is good art question, because yeah. fundamentally, good art cannot be utilitarian. It cannot be mere propaganda, and this isn't that. This isn't just a way of getting people to think that Jesus is cool. It's bringing perspectives it's forcing you to wrestle with hard things it's forcing you to get outside yourself and in so doing it's provoking opportunity for growth provoking opportunity for reflection and really confronting us with both the beauty and the horror of the world as it is and that's what art does that's what good art does it says here's the world in which we live painted truly and bad arts you know paints a caricature or simply says, my goal here isn't to show the world as it really is. It's to persuade you of something. It's to do something. But again, that's propaganda. It's not, and this isn't that. This is a depiction of the reality in which we live through the bent and through the lens of a Christian, and therefore with all that entails, but not as a propagandizing tool, not as a means to another end. It's simply showing the good and the true and the beautiful and the horrid and the sad and the wretched mm-hmm. as they really are. And because of that, the album as a whole, even though it's dealing with really hard things, is beautiful, glorious, magnificent art. Yeah. And it's it's just something that you can hear in mm-hmm. in the little spaces. Like you can just tell that this feels different than other albums. Um, this is definitely feels like art and i know that's a nebulous sort of thing but (laughs) there are some songs you listen to and you're like that is a nice pop song it is great i will sing it repeatedly but this has a weight to it not that makes it heavy like i said before it doesn't like burden um you know it doesn't bow you over in like in how difficult it is but it has a a meatiness it has a a realness an earthiness that makes me at least want to engage with it more. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think that's different than having like just like dropping a heaviness on you that says like the world's bad, suck it up. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, this album doesn't do that. Yeah, like it's it's not just throwing you know, depression in your face over and over again, as if this were a Songs Ohio album, which I love Songs Ohio, and it I listen to it pretty often, and it's just super depressing all the time. Like, that's just what the album wanted to say or what the albums wanted to say. Um, this is different than that. This is somebody looking at the world and saying, how can we make sense of this? And that's art. That's what art should do. And it does it well. We are glad to recommend to you the collection we'll of course link it in our show notes uh this has been episode 1.05 of winning slowly all of our content is licensed under creative commons attribution license which means you can do whatever you want with our stuff just say you got it from us the collection songs at the beginning the gown of green and in the middle the broken tether are licensed under permission from the collection so um, listen to them love them but don't take them go to their band camp <laughs> the collection.bandcamp.com and uh, download their music um, pay for it it's wonderful you can follow us on app.net twitter and facebook we update pretty regularly you can make sure you actually see our episodes that way and you can also subscribe on itunes if you're that kind of person until next time, I have been Chris Kreitcho. And I am and will be Stephen Caradini. Thanks for listening. totally going at the end yeah all right instrumental break over <laughs>